Hello there. Welcome to the Christ Covenant Sermon Talkback. The Sermon Talkback is a chance for pastors and members of Christ Covenant to process the sermon, ask questions to the preacher, and more practically apply the content of the sermon. If you have a question for the Sermon Talkback, please text it to the Text to Pastor line at 678-951-9041, or you can ask through Twitter by tweeting to Jason directly at Jason Edwin Dees. Enjoy. All right. Well, we started a new service uh, sermon series yesterday. I am I've been excited about this sermon series for a long time, um, but obviously yesterday's sermon I had no idea that we would be discussing it. Um, I'm joined today uh, virtually. Virtually, this is our first uh, virtual talkback by Lou Priolo. Lou's out in Smyrna right now. How's how's things out there, Lou? Looking out my basement window, enjoying the view. How's the new Things house, Lou? Do you like it? You like it over there, don't you? I really do. Yeah, I love the house. I love the neighborhood. You know, we still have a lot of stuff in boxes, but it's becoming more and more livable. I love course, it. You know, until the quarantine is over, we can't invite friends over, but hopefully that'll be forthcoming. Well, it's a good time to, good time to unpack, good time to get the house looking good. Yeah. We're also joined by fellow Smyrna resident, Blake Rogers. Yeah, it's good to be here. Down at the collective, though. But yeah, it's blue, beautiful. Blue has beautiful co- here blue, at the collective. Blue, blue, blue. Blake. <laughs> uh, you're my boy, Blue. But <laughs> Blake has come in uh, to the collective, but we are sitting far apart from each other. We are. And then also East Cobb resident. We got the Cobb trio. Who's your Cobb? Oh, y'all are all Lou's, Cobb County. Yeah, Lou's Cobb. Blake's Cobb. I'm Cobb. Shannon Smith. Um, man, it is a pretty day here at the collective, though. Um, hopefully it's pretty where you are, but, uh, we're talking today about yesterday's sermon. It, the, the big title of the sermon, or I guess the more acute title of the sermon was why would God allow a global pandemic? The, you know, the broader question is a question that, as I said yesterday, mm-hmm. has been asked a lot. In fact, I think it's kind of the main objection to God. Why would a good God allow so much pain and suffering in the world if God um, is the all powerful and good God of the Bible, you know, if there is suffering and he can't do anything about it, well, then maybe he's good, but he's not all powerful. If there is suffering and he can do something about it, then maybe he's all powerful, but he can't be good. Mm -hmm. A good God couldn't allow this. That's the objection. So we walked through a few things yesterday. If you were here, and I do encourage you, if you didn't listen, go and listen back to the sermon. When I say here, I guess I mean watching on YouTube. But we talked about the glory and the providence of God. We talked about the curse um, of and sin and, and how that's affected the world we live in. And then we talked a lot about just pain in general, how, how we deal with pain, what pain teaches us. Um, we talked about kind of the opportunity of this moment and then of course the ultimate hope that we have in spite of all pain. So so guys, what were some impressions that uh, you had as you were listening to the sermon? I think, you know, the most interesting part to me um, and, the, and the part that really stuck was the comp- comparison between Rene Descartes, I think therefore I am versus uh, what you put forward, which is God is, therefore I am. You know, Rene Descartes was working off of a worldview where he was the center of his own existence. Um, in fact, his thoughtfulness, his ability to 
to think was evidence and the center of his very life. Um, whereas the Bible paints a different picture. It paints a picture of God who creates image bearers, God being the genesis of all existence, creating image bearers who are to go and to reflect who he is in this world full of, yes, joy and full of pain. Yeah, I think to me that's like, that's the key. Like, that's the key that kind of unlocks not only this conversation, but a lot of conversations. Mm -hmm. Obviously, as fallen sinners, we can't escape from this. So we do begin in a Descartian kind of worldview, right? Right. We, we, we do begin with our understanding of our own existence. As I said yesterday, though, and as I've said many times, that will always lead you to wrong conclusions about the world. Imriana asked me the other day, what was the lowest grade you got on a test in school? And I remember one time I got a 55 on a Oof. math test. Was that at Auburn Math? No, no. <laughs> I actually, I took, it's, there's a joke if Jason Byers is listening. I took a class at Auburn called math. <laughs> That's it? Just math? The name of the class is called math. Um, and it's a class that like liberal arts majors, I was a history and communications major, uh, liberal arts majors take uh great education on the planes though oh, great man. education oh i loved math i love math but it's the only class that i ever got a 100 in so this was not that class oh, okay this was like when i was like in third or fourth grade i was basically in Rihanna's age a little bit older maybe and and it was a test where you was like it was like add five to the previous answer subtract nine from the previous answer multiply the previous answer by two or whatever it was mm -hmm. And so I had done this, but I, I, I did bad math on one of the early conclusions. Yeah. And therefore, the rest of the test, uh, even though I was like using good logic, mm -hmm. I was getting them wrong mm -hmm. because I had a faulty framework. And so I think if, if that switch would happen, if we would go from a, I think, therefore I am to a God is, therefore I am, then we'd actually be able to see the whole world rightly and and the the argument i always make is adam and eve were actually more aware of god's existence than they were of their own existence that's the way i think we're supposed to be and again the proof i always use for this is they didn't even know that they were naked right mm -hmm. how do you not know you're naked mm -hmm. you know god says who told you you were naked right they became mm -hmm. self-aware they 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 be, they began to view the world from their humanistic self-centered kind of perspective once they had eaten the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil they in a sense and i'm using air quotes here became like god in that they viewed the world from their self-centered perspective even though they weren't god and thus weren't supposed to view the world mm -hmm. that way that just made me think of even how we read the bible like how i probably I used to read the Bible and be like, what is this, what does it say that I should do? What does it say about me? And it's like, yeah, I mean, it definitely has things in there, practical ways to live, but it's all about God. It's God's story and you know, how we're pulled into it. But I think even just that, how Renee Descartes was, it's like, I think I read the Bible almost that way. Like looking at it instead of, this is all about God and his story of creation, fall, redemption, all that. It was more like, mm -hmm. what is it? What is it? What does it say about me? Like, how does it, you know, it was more yeah. me-centric, which yeah. is totally is there wrong. A way that the, yeah. yeah. That the Bible can help us. Help, yeah. Like, add some kind of utilitarian value right. to our right. lives. Yeah. Even right. salvation Sorry. Yeah. can be that, right? right. It can be right. less about us being caught up in God's God, story right. of his own glory mm -hmm. and us just saying, now I have this additional good mm -hmm. in my life called salvation mm -hmm. from hell or whatever. 
Um, and so, yeah, no, I right. think that's the key. That mind shift is really what like all of redemption is about. Um, but just to kind of, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh man, I don't know if I view the whole, the world like that. None of us do, right? Like there's humanism in all of us, right? And, and I think it takes prayer. It takes worship. It takes these things to actually shift our hearts and minds away from our self-centeredness and toward the Lord. I don't know, Lou, Lou, did you have any impressions? Did we lose Lou? Oh, Lou's still there. Maybe he put us on mute. Lou, are you on mute? I'm sorry. I was on mute. Yeah, I'm still here. Lou. It's okay, Lou. Lou, this is a it's live okay. podcast. <clears throat> well, my my thought... Um, you're you're not listening into a conference call right now uh, with... Uh, you know, <laughs> you're on... You actually are on a podcast, Lou. So my thoughts <laughs> has to do with uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. We're talking about pain and suffering and just to cut sort of to the chase on a practical level. God promises, and this promise only holds true to believers. It doesn't really hold true to unbelievers. He said that God will not allow us to be tempted or tried beyond what we're able, but with the temptation he will make, he'll provide a way to escape that we may be able to endure it. So that verse really promises, or God promises in that verse, to limit the suffering of his children in two ways. First, he limits it in scope. He knows how much we can handle, and he says he's not going to allow us to be tempted beyond what we're able. And then the second way he limits the trial us is he limits it in duration he will provide some way someday a way to escape that we may able to be able to endure it and so for those of us who've put our our faith in the lord jesus christ we have the assurance that our trials are going to be limited um now the second limitation uh limitation of duration well limited to what our faith is able to endure God wants to That's protect right. the faith of his children. Right. Yes. Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. And, and so, you know, now it is true that Peter said, uh, fix your hope completely on the grace. I mean, that's one of my favorite verses in, in the whole New Testament. Fix your hope completely that will be given you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We are going to be, um, we're going to be glorified. We're going to be, um, we're going to have um, grace. We're going to be rewarded um, f when the Lord. And so I think we have to fix our hope on heaven. We don't, we don't spend nearly as much time thinking about heaven as we probably should. <clears throat> if you were to count the number of verses in the New Testament that refer to heaven and in one way or another command or encourage us to think about heaven, you would be astounded. But I, I digress. The point I really wanted to make is that uh, for most of us, for most things in life, um, we need to have hope or we should have hope that the grace will not only be in the great by and by, but in the nasty now and now so we have to have faith that during this trial 
yes, uh, we may, some of us may end up checking out of here and we will, um, we will be rewarded at that point in time. But the Bible also talks about the grace that he gives us day by day, right? His mercies, his faithfulness are new every morning. And so it's like David said, I would have fainted. I would have given up. I would have thrown in the towel unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord when or where in the land of the living. And so I think that verse in 1 Corinthians 10, 13 does give us hope because God is sovereign and he does limit the trial, the scope of our trials um, as, as believers in his son, Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's, that's helpful. Yeah. I mean, the, the, that, that's a hopeful verse that, that we can remember. God loves us and cares for us. And as we said yesterday in the sermon, I think he, he proves that hope in Christ. So he proves that hope. Um, he proves his concern for us by suffering along with us. Jesus is a sufferer. God joins us in our suffering. Jesus really endured heartache and pain. And then, of course, kind of as you were saying, our ultimate hope <clears throat> is by looking to the cross and realize Jesus suffered with us. But it's also by looking at what the cross accomplishes for us that one day we will, that the, the grace of seeing God will be realized, it will be manifest, and we have the hope of that in the power of the resurrection of Jesus everyone Christ. who has everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself, uh, even as He is pure. We know that one day we will be like Him, and of course that means not only a new uh, a new physical body, but that means um, we won't have to deal with our sin nature, our our flesh anymore. Shannon, you had a question. Oh, okay. I don't get to talk about my impression. Oh, well, you can talk about your impression. I thought you already kind of gave it. Shannon. All right, well, yeah, oh, no, Shannon. no. My, my impression was the lessons of pain yeah, because yeah. how pain is actually a grace. I've, I've not heard it worded that way and how God could have just, when they sinned, when Adam and Eve sinned, he could have just ended their life right there, but he didn't. And it, basically pain is a reminder of God's goodness, that there is something better out there and that it's a teacher. You know, you used examples of like you make a a stupid decision, uh, typically you won't make that decision again. It was probably the consequences could have been painful. And um, so the pain from that causes you to, you know, make a better decision the next time. And you, you use that. You said, um, you know, and then, you know, our power is made perfect, as it says, and so I think it's Second Corinthians, is in our weakness and just the, how suffering produces endurance and just all the things that we can mm -hmm. learn from pain. It really is God's grace on us. Um, yeah, pain is a great teacher. It, I mean, yeah. I've been thinking about that even. Um, <laughs> I was actually having a conversation with, uh, I think it was Caden Evans about, she says, you know, I always used to complain about going into work and now like all I want to do is leave my house and go into work and just how it actually can teach us things like joy and hope and patience um, and, and all sorts of things. God is producing his character in us a lot of times, not not exclusively, but a lot of times through the pain that we have to endure. And again, all pain is a, a grace. It's, it, it's, it's a reminder. What calls, what gives Adam a longing to be back in the garden? It's the fact that he's not in the garden, the separation, the, the, the flaming sword that's guarding the way to the garden makes him want to get by that. And what gives us a longing? I even think this time of, uh, I was having a walk this morning with Weston Lewis. And we were talking about there, even just people he's talking to that aren't 
um, you know, that aren't necessarily believers, but there is an American arrogance uh, that this is kind of undoing and leading us back into a dependence on the Lord. So, so true. All right. Well, getting a little more like theological. Yeah. Shannon. Now do have now a you got the now question. Now you got the question. Okay. Um, it's kind of a doozy. Yeah. Yeah. And basically, you know, we know God foresaw how man would misuse power, choose evil, all that. So my question is, why did God create humankind with the capacity of free will and free choice, knowing in advance the vast misery we would cause? Like, why did he bother creating us knowing, you know? Yeah. I mean, I kind of know the answer. The very simple answer is the ultimate joy and glory that God would have in his redeemed children. I mean, that's like the... The but very, explaining like, that, why? yeah, explaining that to someone who that's kind of their stumbling block, like, right. you know. Right. And, yeah. and, and so, again, this is hard to understand with um, if you don't have the God is, therefore I am kind of mentality. If you mm-hmm. have the God is, therefore I am mentality, you can realize like, OK, everything in the world yeah. exists for God's glory. Mm-hmm. So how do you some how do you start with with someone um, that has no kind of like concept there they're only seeing the world through their own thing and there was a great question that we had sent in about how do you give kind of a 90 second mm-hmm. elevator pitch um you know this has been done many times but i think like the best way that i can um that i can talk about it or the simplest way that you can talk about it at least is <clears throat> real relationship is is proved is 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 displayed in trial right um, how do you know that Brad really loves you? It's because there, his love for you has endured in times when you haven't been lovely, right? If, if, if you, if you, if Brad only loves you when you're lovely, um, and when you're easy and when you're fun, then it's convenient. convenient yeah. Love. Even the yeah. Gentiles do yeah. this, yeah. right? I mean, yeah, everybody does this, but it's, 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 there's really like a covenantal like love and even I would say like glory of love in a relationship that occurs when a trial or when pain really happens. Mm-hmm. How do I prove to my kids that I love them because I endure with them during the hardship I endure with them. And so what, what God is doing in the world is he's creating a capacity for real human beings, his creation to, to actually love him and to actually respond to him. But the the way that that is manifest is obviously him being able to show himself to them in our time of sin and our time of turning our back on him. He's, he's proving his love. He's showing his love actually in our rejection of him. But the, you know, the result, of course, is the brokenness and the disorder that our rejection of him causes. Mm-hmm. That's good. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that's the quick pitch. Um, you know, yeah. the longer pitch, you know, is you're going to get into a lot of like theological categories here um, of, of why would, would God, you know, kind of allow this to happen. <laughs> I think that the, the 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 ultimate very simple answer is that you know in the end we will understand and see that death has been swallowed up in victory 
and that the victory that God is achieving and the glory that God is achieving and even the satisfaction that, that we will share in will be so much greater because of the pain that we have now. Mm-hmm. Jason, one thing that has, that has helped me, and I'm going to have to run after this. I've, I've got an appointment <clears throat> on Zoom. The talk back, one thing's ha- it's, it's recorded in real time, guys. So, Lou, thanks for your time. Go ahead. Sorry. So one of the things that's helped me over the year is the realization that we could never fully understand God's glory, his holiness in particular, if he did allow sin. I mean, just couldn't imagine how holy and appreciate how holy he were if it weren't the foil, if it weren't mm-hmm. um, a sin-cursed world. And so that helps me answer these tough questions. Yeah, yeah. And again, that, that gets to the point of God is, what is the purpose of creation? I mean, really, that's, that's the question you have to answer. Is it our satisfaction or our avoidance of misery? It's actually right. the glory of God. But I would that's even right. say, even from our perspective, if you really understand kind of who you are in human nature and, what, and where real joy and satisfaction comes from, because we're made in the image of God, it is actually the miseries that we endure that make our life so complete. It's a very humanistic kind of perception to just say um, misery and tragedy um, are all bad, if you will. They're all evil, yeah. Yeah, are all evil. Actually, it's, it's those things that create in us uh, the best things about us. So they're not only proving God's glory more, but they're actually, in a sense proving our glory more they're, they're they're proving our worth more if we can respond to them uh with god-like character i've also heard people say right. why would god and, and this goes along with this and maybe you've answered it but why would god by lou um <laughs> lou's gone why would god you know in in his foreknowledge create people knowing that they are going to reject him and be eternally separated from him in hell. Like some people say, that seems cruel, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've had non-Christians well, and, ask and it, that question. It, it, it does seem cruel. I mean, and so I, I get it. Like it's a very, these aren't easy things to yeah. talk about. Um, but again, I think that the the mentality is why, why no one is going to hell because God created them, right? God, people are going to hell because they have sinned, right? And there's a big, um, there's a big, you know, bigger thing that we're not going to get into, but infralapsarian and superlapsarianism. And, and I, I would call myself an infralapsarian because of what I just said. I believe that, that it's not that God created people to go to hell. Right. God created people to reflect his glory. God created people to live in his world. But we all have sinned. We all have rejected God. We, we all have gone our own way. And thus, um, there is a consequence of that. But the good news for Christians and the good news for the whole world in the gospel is that we can be redeemed from the consequences of our choice to sin against God through faith in Jesus and, and by trusting in the price that he has paid uh, for our sake on the cross and the glory that we can have in him. And so I would just say to, you know, to you, as people can struggle with this, again, these are hard questions. These are tough things mm-hmm. to go through. 
but it doesn't change the reality of where we are, right? You're not God. I am not God. I don't understand the depths of God's wisdom. I don't understand the, the holiness of God. I don't understand the depths of my sin, right? If I did, then I think these things wouldn't be so hard for me. I would just say, of course. I mean, I, I do believe there's a place that you can get to, and, and, and I have even, you know, I've had glimpses of this in my life where I realize I've, I've started to see the holiness of God. I've started to see the depths of my sin, and I, I really believe, okay, I actually deserve hell. I actually do deserve because God is so holy and so good and so right. And so these things don't seem as cruel to me as they once did because I'm starting to understand how good and great God is and how really horrible my sin against him is. And I think when you start to get that, and I think I just have a cloudy view of those realities, Mm -hmm. but I think the clearer and clearer those things come, the more you realize, wow, I really have sinned against a holy God. And then the more you can really see the enormous and beautiful grace that we have in Jesus. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, this is one of the reasons why like Christians need to be there when their friends, their neighbors are going through hard times. We all in this human experience seek to come up with answers for pain. And you will either come to a conclusion based on some other locus of authority outside of yourself, which God is, therefore I am. He has spoken to us through his word. We will come up for our understanding of pain and suffering from the scriptures. Or we will seek to determine and verify some other kind of explanation for doing this. Or we will just be in this continual cycle of depression and angst and worry. And Christians have a, because of the Bible, because God's revealed himself to us, um, we, we have answers for these things. And it's it's important for us to understand and it's important for us to be there as the world suffers to offer the great hope of what God has told us. Yeah, I mean, you can be, I mean, without a right Christian worldview, in a totally like naturalistic worldview, um, it's it's very easy on one sense to become totally crippled by the amount of responsibility that humans have. Or on the other side, you can become totally crippled by the idea of fatalism on the other side. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But but the Christian worldview kind of gives this nice middle ground of, look, we, we, we can trust that God's in control, but this is a God that's called us to be active. And, and, I, and therefore, I think it actually gives you a really good worldview to deal with pain and suffering in the world in a way that I think is both improving the world. Um, We should be coming up with medicine. We should be solving problems. We should be responding to pain and and real suffering, but in a way that doesn't destroy us when we fail. When there is pain and suffering, we can trust that the Lord is at work. And there's beautiful, there's some good balance there. So you mentioned uh, earlier, you know, you're kind of, in, in your life, the Lord's kind of revealed himself to you. He's shown you your own sinfulness, and you kind of understand, well, I do deserve hell. I do deserve pain. Therefore, I'm not surprised by it. It's not that I like it when I have it. No, yeah, it's yeah. Not, not that you like it. But what about, Jason, how do you speak to um, that? what you explained is just pain? Right, right. How do you speak to injustice, yeah. Hitler, um you know, somebody who has been abused, 
um, not, you know, and, and, or rape or murder or any right, of these right, things. Right. Like, how do you speak to that um, in this understanding? You know, I actually think there is a sense where this, like, coronavirus is a helpful, like, time to think about these things um, because it, it shows how, like, interconnected the world is. And, you know, I didn't eat the raw bat meat, but I'm still susceptible to the virus that it mm-hmm. unleashed, you know, and there's still consequences of that in the world around us. And so, you know, I think that when I think of those things, I realize like I, I have injustices, there's pain that I deserve and other people are going to suffer because of sin that I've committed and things that I've done. Right. So there's in injustice that I've caused. I'm not Hitler. I'm not, you know, mm-hmm. and so we Christians have an understanding, you know, we're, we're not so given over to this that we can't realize, okay, there's different consequences for different sin. But I realize that I'm a part of the same fallen narrative, fallen narrative. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I also, and so thus I can say, okay, this, this is where I'm partly to blame for this. And now I've found myself in this world where there are these realities. Um, and so we live in an unjust world. I mean, the, the, the answer is like, we live in an unjust world. The amazing thing is though, if you really stop and think about it, is that God who is not subject, who has never sinned, who has no fault, right? Who's I, I am not Hitler, but I at least have some fault in the injustices of the world. I can recognize that about myself. The amazing thing that Christians believe, though, is that God, who has no fault, was willing to enter into the injustice mm-hmm. and endure not just the not just the things that the Gospels describe, the injustices that Jesus endured. He was poor. He, you know, was hated. He was betrayed. He in, in, in faced incredible physical pain. But Jesus actually took on the weight of all of our sin. So he he took on the payment of our sin before a holy and perfectly just God. If that's true, I mean, that, that's, it's an amazing thing. I mean, it's the basis of like all of our faith. But mm-hmm. That is an amazing thing to believe. That is, why would God ever do this? And the answer, of course, the scripture gives us is because of his love that he had for us. And so if that's all true, then how great are all these injustices, horrible as they are, actually displaying the incredible part of God's character, which is love. And and then how much hope do we have in the eventual story where God is going to pour out the riches of his love on us for the rest of all time? So it's actually these things, as we were saying before, that that prove something about the character mm-hmm. of God that is enormously comforting and so, enormously hopeful. Yeah, he's going to pour out his love on us, but he's also going to take vengeance fully against sin right and so therefore at the same time he can be both just mm-hmm. and merciful mm-hmm. um and that of course just makes sense of the whole bible and i think it really makes sense of a lot of human existence too like there is something in us that wants justice and cries for justice but there's also something in us that wants mercy and cries for mercy how can you have both and again the christian narrative the christian worldview kind of splits the difference there and and, and I think satisfies Mm -hmm. both of those intuitions of our Mm -hmm. hearts. That's right. We also got some really good questions. You know, what is the proper response during pain and suffering? I think a couple of things there, and I'd love to hear y'all's, you know, if y'all have any, you know, 
exhortations. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think having a good theology, I think this kind of podcast is good. I think these are the kinds of things that are actually easier to think about before you're in a great time of trial yeah, yeah. and suffering. Mm-hmm. They actually help square you and you're in the middle of it. Um, but I think during those times, I think the best thing that we can do for people is just meet them in the place of suffering and trial. If somebody brings, um, if some, I think, I think one of the best things that Christians can say right now is just, Hey, we're in this and we're going to get through this. You know, I don't think it's best to say, um, you know, well, this is the result of this or that. I, I don't know that explaining a lot of theology or figuring out outcomes even is, is really our best response. I think it's just meeting people in this moment, mm-hmm. being compassionate, serving them, loving them as we can, and just kind of bearing with one another. I totally agree. I had a one of my best friends lost her son right before he turned three, just went to sleep and didn't wake up. And the response that she got, you know, from different people who wanted to say, oh, all things work together for good. And, oh, you know, God's got another angel or, you know, not good. All well-intentioned, you know, people caring. But basically what meant meant the most to her and her family was just being there, like you say, meeting Mm -hmm. there, listening, you know, doing things like, you know, cleaning her house or folding her laundry, but it wasn't nothing I could say other than, Hey, I'm praying for you. And I am so sorry, yeah. mm-hmm. but nothing, you know, we try to come up with these, uh, I don't know, clever things to, to help people, but really they just, they just mm-hmm. want to know that you care and that you're there and right. you're just are present. And if you see a need, a physical need mm-hmm. or some kind of need, you, know, you just, you just help them out. And yes. that's what spoke the, the most to them. Yeah. Whenever you run in with, Mm-hmm. logical right because it's, illo- it's an illogical to a very time. emotionally right. driven kind of moment for people mm-hmm. um it it won't make sense no. and it may in fact um cause bitterness mm-hmm. towards you for running right. into them for not bearing with them and being patient right. and so um meeting people in the emotion i do want to reiterate what jason said i think um we all do well to develop a a, a healthy biblical theology of suffering even if we're not perceived as like in a moment of great suffering right now. Um, because when you, when you have those anchors that yes, are, are faith based rooted in scripture, but also logical kinds of things. Whenever you go through, um, the emotional turmoil of a great trial, you, you will fall back on, um, your anchors, you know, what, what are the things that you have determined in your life to be absolute and true? And, um, your emotions will respond to that. Emotions are dumb. They don't think they respond. And so we have to, we have to develop a good and healthy biblical worldview. That's good. You know, and and one of the things I tried to say yesterday in the sermon is you can't Romans 8, 28 through your whole life. Like, yes, we are loved by God. Yes, he is going to work things out for our good. I, I believe that. That's totally an it. anchor yeah. in my life. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I spent a lot of time uh, early on in my Christian life or you know, high school, college, chasing the Romans 828 uh, rainbow, you know, of like, okay, this sad thing happened to me. What's the better thing that's about to happen? And yeah. I think that's just a wear you out. And I think the better posture is, look, I know that God and his providence is going to work things out. 
And so I don't have to just look for, I don't have to like answer that all the time. I just need to know that that mm-hmm. is going to happen. Yeah. Well, guys, this has been a good discussion. What a, what a talk back. It's a good talk back. Can, can I end on with a little scripture? Blake? From Job chapter five. Why don't you take us home? Why don't you even do the close? I, I really like this passage. I think it, it offers just a great deal of hope. Uh, this is this is Job five seventeen through nineteen. Behold, blessed is the one whom God reproves. Therefore, despise not the discipline of the Almighty. For he wounds, but he binds up. Mm-hmm. He shatters, but his hands heal. He will deliver you from six troubles. In seven, no evil shall touch you. Mm-hmm. We do live in a life in a world where there's pain and suffering, and yet God is doing something beautiful through it all. And uh, as we look to him, as we trust in him, we will find great hope in that, and he ultimately loves us and cares for us. That was uh, God's God's hope for Job, and that's God's hope for us. I'm Blake Rogers. I was joined today by Jason Dees. It's good to be a part of this talk back. Lou Priolo on the phone, and our very own Shannon Smith. Thanks for listening.